Well, today we're looking at Jesus' prayer for his disciples. It's an important prayer because this is the prayer that Jesus prays for us as he goes to the cross. And this is the prayer that Jesus is praying for us in heaven. It's a prayer for all those whom the Father has given him, for all those who come to him. This is a prayer for believers. Jesus says, I'm not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. And there are four things that Jesus asks. He asks for unity, for joy, for protection, for holiness. First of all, he asks for unity, so that they may be one as we are one. This is the prayer that believers will be united. Not united physically, but at a deeper level. He prays that we may be one as the Father and Son are one. The Father and the Son are like this. When one is glorified, the other is glorified. At the beginning of this prayer, verses we haven't read today, Jesus prays, glorify the Son, so that the Son may glorify you. And we see throughout Jesus' life that dependency on the Father. He shares the life of the Father and the desires of the Father. He loves the Father and the Father loves him. Because he loves the Father and completely trusts the Father, he obeys the Father with great joy. He does, he speaks the words of the Father. He does the works of the Father. He was with the Father from the beginning. He came from the Father and he will return to the Father. And he has all things because all things have been given him by the Father. Jesus and the Father are not like this, as I've shown before. They're like this. And Jesus prays that we might be one as he and the Father are one. That is quite a prayer. As people who have received the word of Jesus, who have put our trust in him, we are in Christ. And Christ is in us. We are in Christ. Imagine this is Christ and this is me. We are, and baptism marks this as a symbol of where this actually happening, we are in Christ. And there's me, and there's you, and there's Mary, and there's Marina, and there's Giles. We are in Christ. We're together. But also, Christ, all of this, is in us. That's the astonishing thing of what's going on here. We're not simply called to, to be like citizens of a country where we have a language and a culture and a currency in common. We're not even called to simply be like members of the same family where we have a common origin, 
common DNA, common blood, a common name. We, who are so different from so many different countries, from, with so many different languages, with different ways of looking at the world, with different tastes and upbringings and cultures, may only have one thing in common. But it is the most important thing that anybody could have. We are in Christ, and Christ is in us. And Jesus prays for our unity, that we might be in communion with each other, with one heart and one mind. He prays that we might recognize that we belong to one another, we're part of one another, and we can only find full wholeness when we are united together. Alison had a picture of the church that was like a beautiful, perfect, precious necklace made up of many different unique jewels. Each member was one of those jewels. And when they were absent, although the necklace is there, it is not complete. It is missing something. That's why Paul speaks in Romans 12 about how when one person in the community weeps, we all weep together. When one person rejoices, we all rejoice. And this unity is not just about unity in a congregation. It's about a unity that stretches beyond space and time. In Christ, we're in a communion with women and men who serve Christ right across this world. Today, when we have a simple shared lunch and soup, we'll be taking a collection for believers in Orissa, India, who are facing a double blow, COVID and persecution. We're part of them, and they are part of us. And this unity includes the apostles and martyrs and saints of ages past. We're in communion with countless nameless men and women who have faithfully followed Christ in the past. It includes people who are in Christ in different places from different races or who have not yet even been born. That is what we mean when we speak of the communion of saints. Jesus prays that as people come to him, not to Anglicanism, not to Rome, not to Orthodoxy, not to a particular congregation or religious organisation, although all of those are so important, but as they come to him, as they stick close to him, like sheep to a shepherd in a deepest, darkest valley when it's so scary and we have to stick close to him, or when we stick to him like a branch to the vine as we take his words into us, so we will be made one. And then Jesus prays for joy, so that they may have my joy complete in them. This is the joy that comes from knowing that we are one with our Father God, one with Christ, and one with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Make my joy complete, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and one mind. Or John writes, We declare to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And then he says, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. My joy, our joy, but Jesus prays that we might know his joy, that his delight will fill us. And what is his joy and delight? It comes from drawing together the people of God, the people who God is calling to each other, to him and to his Father. We can know moments of joy. We can know moments of joy when a child is born after nine months of a very heavy labour. I'm looking at nobody in particular here at the moment. We can know joy in an unexpected victory snatched from the jaws of defeat or of a great achievement or of a deep longing that is satisfied. Those temporary moments of joy, and they are just moments, are glimpses of a greater eternal joy that is in the heart of God when a lost sheep is found, when a lost sinner returns to him, when people respond to his love with their love. And God's joy abounds when all his children are gathered together at a feast, uh, and they're at peace with each other, delighting in him and delighting in each other. And Jesus prays that we might know his joy, that we might share in his joy. Peter writes of how we can be filled with an indescribable and glorious joy. And one or two of you have told me of times when you have experienced that overwhelming, unspeakable joy a joy that fills us and floods us. It's not our joy. It's the joy of God that he shares with us. That's a glimpse of heaven because this joy is eternal. Sometimes we speak of the dead as having eternal peace. That's not what Jesus prays for here. Jesus prays that we might share his eternal joy. And I have to say, that's so much more than just peace. Thirdly, Jesus prays for protection. I ask you to protect them from the evil one. Jesus doesn't pray, notice this, that we will be protected from suffering, from disappointment, from frustration, from sickness or from death. In fact, he says that his followers will be hated in the world because they are not of the world and that he is not praying the father to take us out of the world this is the prayer of the pastor and the good shepherd actually you can put uh, look through this you can actually put psalm 23 quite closely alongside this prayer 
but it's the prayer of the Good Shepherd who has walked with us through the darkest valley and protected us with his rod and staff. And now he prays for that continued protection. He prays that we will be protected from the lies of Satan, the lies that tell us that we do not need God, that God does not really love us, that his word cannot be trusted, that we can become God, that this world is all that there is to live for. That was the first lie that Satan told Adam and Eve. And Satan is remarkably unimaginative because that's the lie he continues to tell that our being and our identity and our joy are in ourselves, that we don't need God, and to be totally honest, we don't really need other people. And those are the lies that destroy. The lies that tell you that other people are not treating you as you deserve to be treated. That you can prove to them that you are something that you can show them that you matter. You can get your revenge on them. That is the lie that, as Sartre said, hell is the other person. And those are the lies that build us, build up, and they fill us, and they twist us. And I know it's an, a real extreme but we saw where those lies lead to in Kazan last week. Think of a lie as a block of ice. It freezes us to God or to another person. It freezes us on the inside. We listen to the lies, we take the lies in, and we begin to build a wall of ice around us. And one lie leads to another lie and another lie and the wall gets taller and thicker. And when it's too late, we realize that we have built ourselves into an ice prison. We've become a god, of god of all we survey. But it's not much. We have frozen out God. We've frozen out other people. And we are freezing ourselves in our own private frozen world and so jesus prays he prays that above all things in whatever we face in whatever we experience that we will be protected from the evil one that we will be protected from those lies and fourthly jesus prays for holiness Sanctify them in the truth. Sanctify them. Set them apart for sacred purposes. If the last prayer was the prayer of the shepherd, this is the prayer of the priest. In verse 19, Jesus says, For their sakes I sanctify myself, so that they also may be sanctified in the truth. I take that to be John's interpretation of Jesus' prayer when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he's arrested and just before he is led to be crucified. It's the final decision time. Jesus has the choice. He can accept the cross or he can run away and do things a different way.
And in the garden he prays, not my will, but yours be done. Father, in the words of John, you sent me into the world. Now I set myself apart. I will be obedient. I set myself apart to be crucified, to sanctify myself for their sake. And in verse 17, Jesus prays, sanctify them. Set them apart to live the way of the cross for freely chosen self-sacrifice. Make them holy through your word. Change them so that they become beautiful people, beautiful on the inside. Wait for heaven to become truly beautiful on the outside. Unity, joy, protection, holiness. Heavenly Father, praise Jesus, as they receive your word, as they take your word into them, as they continue to allow your word to come into them and grow in them, so fill them with your love. Give them eyes to see this world as you see it. Eyes to see people as you see them. Show them your love. Show them your love for me and my love for you. Show them my love for them and for all who you give to me. Protect them from the lies of the evil one that they do not need you or that they do not need each other. Give them the desire to choose to sacrifice themselves in whatever way you call them to do, so that others may come to know you and your love, and so that they might be one, and so that they might be filled, filled to overflowing with your joy. Amen.